This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let's start with uh, some prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, that you have revealed wonderful and beautiful things about yourself to us, Lord. Thank you that we have uh, even four four gospels. We can we can consider and grow in and learn and understand the, just the grace and grace, gracious nature of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in, in so many different ways. Um, it's out of his fullness of grace. It's the grace upon grace that comes from his love, his care, his desire to draw people into your presence, Lord, that we can come before you even today. And I pray that as we consider your word, as we think about what it means to be a Christian community, um, that at the end of the day, we would entrust ourselves to you, that we would hear what your word has said and, and believe it in our hearts to be true about us and true about our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. So I thank you for just the reality of your word. I thank you that your spirit powerfully works in and through us as we're in this world. And I pray that we would be encouraged this morning as we consider uh, what you have done to create a community together. In your name I pray, amen. So yeah, that's what we're gonna do this morning. Um, As a church, uh, we say that our our mission uh, is to bring good to others as we're formed by God together, together. Uh, and so I want, to, I want to sort of focus in on what does it mean that we're a community? What does it mean that we're a Christian community together? How do we think about that? And I, uh, I actually was chit-chatting with uh, a barista on Monday and was just like, what do I, what should I preach about? You know, like, and she was said cake. And I said, I could probably throw cake in there somewhere, but I promised I would talk about uh, things as it has to do with the Christian community. Things that have to do with the Christian community. There's a lot of uh, ways to kind of approach that. uh, And there's a lot of ways to look at that. And we're going to spend a few weeks in the intensive on Sunday evenings, speaking about the implications of that a little bit more. But I, I said to her, I was like, well, I, I feel like all of us have had like a bad experience with the Christian community and that we should address that. And she lit up and was like, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> I was like, um, and actually it made for a really good conversation. It made for a really good conversation. And I was thankful for that opportunity. Um, but, but, I, but that's not something that's that far from most people who have been involved in any kind of Christian community. It has probably burned you. It has probably disappointed you, exhausted you, discouraged you at some point in your life. And, and, and part of the reality of that, part of the reality of that She's good at telling people what to do. <laughs> Part of the reality of that is making sense of that. Like, what do we do when we get burned or we're disappointed or we struggle or there's just, a, there's just a grief that comes in light of the Christian community? How do we respond to those things? And I think there's, there's a few ways we can respond to that. A few ways we can respond to that. One, we can just give up on it. We can say, okay, I tried this Christian community thing. Uh, it let me down. It failed me. Uh, so now I can go try a different community thing and find whatever it is I'm looking for. And a lot of people do that. I was talking to a pastor uh, just on Friday, who's talking about a friend who has 68% of the church left during COVID that didn't come back or something like that. Like more than half of his church did not return when restrictions were lifted. So there's a lot of, uh, they're not coming back because it's not some, it's, 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 there's a more attractive thing to do on a Sunday morning. There's, there's a different community they can be a part of in some way, shape or form. So they've decided that that's, that's how they will sort of make sense of the disappointment of Christian community. They'll just, they just won't deal with it. 
Another way I think most we're here, so most of us here are dealing with it in one way, shape, or form. Uh, most, of us, most of us then will say, okay, well, I'm just going to sort of adjust. I'm going to adjust my expectations. I'm going to adjust my level of commitment. Maybe I'm just going to adjust the like group within the group that I sort of decide to spend my time with. We, we get hurt or we get disappointed or we struggle. There's an issue we have with Christian community, so we just kind of adjust. We just kind of shift to something else. I mean, I, I was th- uh, thinking about even just the Denver church culture, um, and it, uh, it's interesting how when you, like, run an ad on Instagram, it finds, like, basically other people that look at, like, the same churchy kind of stuff that, like, your Instagram profile does. And when we just kind of let it do its thing, a bunch of people were like looking at our Instagram stuff from like the West Coast in California. I was like, oh, I guess apparently everyone looking for like the kind of church that has these kinds of pictures and statements are, are over here on the West Coast. We're sort of in this environment where we could, we can pick and choose how we want a church to be. We can find a church with the music we like. We can find a church with the preacher that we like. We can find a church with the people that kind of vibe and click with us. And we have all these sort of different adjustments we could make. And and it's at the same time, all of that is true. I talk to a ton of people who are generally just disappointed with Christian community. A ton of people that have been hurt by Christian community or struggle with Christian community and don't really know how to make sense of that. So it's weird that we have all these ways we can adjust. We have, all these experience, we have all these negative experiences and there's still this sort of like feeling I get from people that I don't really know how to make sense of what God is doing when I'm hurt or I'm disappointed or I'm struggling with the Christian community. So I think there's another route we can take and that's sort of what I'm gonna talk about this morning. We don't have to bail on it. We don't even really have to adjust. I think we have to think about how we redefine it. We need to think about what does it mean when we say that we're a Christian community? What does it mean when we say we are together? Is it the same way that we're together um, with all my friends that I like to go to the skate park with, you know? Maybe that's a, not a good example for most of us. Is it, the, is it the same way we're together with the group at work that I see eight hours a day? Okay, everyone's more, uh, more familiar with that one. Um, is, is, is the together the same way for my family that I go back and visit on the holidays and we all gather around the table? Is it the same kind of together? And I think what scripture is saying, and it's what we're gonna kind of go through this morning, is it's not the same kind of together. Christian community, God has created and defined for a particular purpose. It's a beautiful thing that he's done. And it doesn't mean that there isn't gonna be, amen. It doesn't mean that there's not gonna be difficulty. We live in a fallen world. It doesn't mean there's not gonna be disappointments. People will let us down. But I think it's harder to decipher It's harder to sort of figure out what God is doing when when we're struggling with Christian community if we don't understand what it is in the first place and why God created it. What it is and why God created it. So that's the basic outline. It's another uh, very complex outline for me uh, this Sunday. (laughs) We're We're just gonna look at what is Christian community and why is it? Why is Christian community? If God is creating something here, what is the purpose of that? And so I thought it would be good uh, to start with Christian community before the cross and look at Isaiah 44. And what we're gonna kind of bounce around this morning. um, So if you can't uh, keep up, that's okay. Um, You can just write down or ask me if you you want to um, see what the references are. But we are gonna be a little bit all over scripture. When we start Colossians uh, next Sunday, we'll get back to the typical sort of walking through uh, the particular book or letter of the Bible. But we're talking about Christian community, so we're gonna sort of jump around all over the place. And I know that when we're talking about Isaiah, uh, to say Christian community is a little anachronistic. Like there was no such things yet as Christians. There was though Israel and Israel was the, uh, if we were gonna use the term, Israel was the Christian community at the time. 
Uh, another way to say it that maybe makes sense is Israel was the people of God. Uh, it, but way back in Genesis, the people of God was Noah's family. Later on, the people of God was Abraham and his family, much, much, much bigger than Noah's family. Then the people of God, as they, as they came out of Egypt, became eventually the nation of Israel. And now, today, the people of God is Jew and Gentile, Israelite and non-Israelite. Now, it's, it's all of us, and we would, say, we would say Christians, we'd say Christian community, because we're, we're joined to Christ. We're joined to the, the, the one perfect second Adam, Jesus himself. So that's why my sort of definition that I'm going to flesh out as we go through some of these scriptures is what is Christian community? It's the redeemed temple in Christ. The redeemed temple in Christ. And you might say, what? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I hope that it makes a little more sense as we go through this. So let's start with Isaiah and look at what God has done to sort of create this community. He has redeemed a people. He's actually brought a people from slavery to sin, from slavery to the king of Egypt. He's, he's purchased them with his own power and he's created a people. And we'll see what he's created that people for and how he sort of formed them around this idea of a temple and then how that culminates in their connection with in their union with Jesus Christ himself as, as he is the vine, as we, as we connect to him so that we would bear fruit. So look at, verse, um, look at verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, in Israel, for you are my servant. God's saying, I formed you. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. This is the, this is the Christian community at the time. God's saying, I am the one who established you. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. He's speaking to Israel. He says the the weakest of nations, the nation that that was trapped in Egypt by a king, Pharaoh, as slaves. He's saying, I formed you. I created you. I I decided to forgive your sins and make you a community. I decided to redeem you. I think I have a definition of redemption from Merriam-Webster. It says to buy back, repurchase, or free from captivity by payment of ransom. To free from captivity by payment of ransom. And in this context, in Israel's context, the captivity was literal, physical enslavement in Egypt. Physical enslavement in Egypt. And as God brought the judgments on the land of Egypt, through the sacrificial lamb, their debts were paid for if they trusted in that process. And as the angel of death came and poured out judgment over the land, God paid for, he redeemed them, he, he purchased them from their, their, the reality that they fell short, just like the Egyptians. But because he wanted to make a people, he wanted to create a community, he redeemed them out of Egypt, brought them out by wonders and glory and power and literally split the sea to make it happen and put them in a nation that had everything already there for them. (laughs) Had cities and pastures and and vineyards. And he's saying, look what I did. I created you as a people. I'm the one who redeemed you. I'm the one who paid the price and made a people. And he's telling this, he's telling this to to the Israelites, to the Christian community of the time, while they're going into exile while they're actually sort of losing all of those privileges. And he's reminding them of what he's done. And he's gonna remind them of what he will do. And that kind of gives us a little clue to what does it mean to be a Christian community today? Because he's telling the Israelites, look what I've done, I've redeemed you, I've created you. I'm the one who has power over all of these things. And that's what he says, he goes on. So sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. 
Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. I'm the one who has created this community. I'm the one who purchased you and gathered you. He goes on, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the sign of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. This is, God is saying, I'm the one who does all these things. I created everything. I redeemed you. I'm the one that if I say it, it happens. So look at what he says. Who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. And I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry. I will dry up your rivers. Who says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built in the end of the temple. Your foundation shall be laid. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So he's talking to his people. He's talking to the Christian community at the time, the people of God. And he's saying, I'm the one who's created you. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise up a servant, Cyrus, to rebuild the temple. And you're like, what does that have to do with Christian community? There's no altar up here. That would be weird. Um, we're not sacrificing animals. Um, I don't know. Some of the priest outfits, though, would be sweet. So, <laughs> like, so that's some legit jewelry on some of the priest outfits. Um, but, yeah, we don't, the temple is something that's kind of, like, of old. You know, like, a, that was, like, kind of how things used to be. Like, what is that relevant for today? And he's talking to Israel, and the, the idea of the temple is really important. The idea of the temple is really important. The temple is where God's people experience the presence of God. The temple is where atonement happens, where blood is spilt because of the, the sin that needs to be blotted out so that then wicked people like the Israelites, like God's Christian community who has sin, wicked people could then approach God Wicked people could be in the very presence of God. People who fall short, people who God redeemed and gathered together could actually be in the very presence of the same creator who spoke all these things into existence. Amen. And now their temple has been destroyed. So how do they approach God? How can they be a community, God's people, who approach and worship God if there's nowhere on the planet where they can actually do that. This is what they're thinking. And, and in, in Isaiah, he's actually saying ahead of time, I have chosen a king who I will name, who isn't even born yet. And we see that fulfilled later in scripture. This king who isn't even born yet, which is why a lot of people think, oh, well, Isaiah couldn't really have been written when, when you think it was written, because how do you know the name of a king? before that king is even born yet. Because God is the one who creates everything and what he says is what happens. And he's saying, look, this servant of mine will, rebu will rebuild the temple and in my Christian community, the Israelites will then be able to come before God, will be able to approach God and worship him and experience his presence again. Amen. He's making a promise that someday his servant will lay a foundation so that the temple would be where God's people could, could experience God himself. The temple is critical to our ability to approach and worship God. You might be saying, Aaron, um, yes, that is true, but why are we talking about the temple now? And I think it's interesting, Jesus brings this up in John. We didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but in John 2, verse 18, 
Look at what Jesus says about this, the idea of a temple. The Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. Like he's, he literally just cleaned out the temple. The people are buying and selling and kind of making a profit off of, this, off of the place where God is supposed to be worshiped. Jesus was not a fan of that. Uh, makes me worry uh, for some church cultures that are churning a profit off of a, a gospel that is not true. Jesus isn't a huge fan of that. So he cleans out the temple and he's there at the temple. And Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Amen. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they had believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So even Jesus is saying, hey, there's something more significant than this building temple here that even in Isaiah, God promised he would someday rebuild. And Jesus is saying, tear it all down. I will build it in three days. And they're like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? It took forever to build this thing. And John said, well, we didn't really even understand what Jesus was talking about at the time. But we learn that later. Jesus is saying, I am the presence of God with the peop my people. Jesus is saying, this is how you are stand in God's presence. Not only am I the sacrifice, the, the lamb of God that was originally a picture all the way back to God redeeming his people out of Egypt. But he's saying, I am how you are present with God. And you're gonna, Jesus is pointing to himself and saying, you're gonna destroy this temple. You're gonna destroy this one who is the very presence of God. And I'll raise it up in three days. I'll rebuild this temple. He is the true servant that Isaiah is talking about that is going to come and rebuild the temple. Jesus is the foundation stone of this new and glorious temple. Jesus is the ultimate Cyrus that will rebuild the temple for the Christian community. And this is exactly what Paul picks up on in Ephesians. There's actually a lot going on in the first couple of chapters of Ephesians. I listened to a sermon series that I stopped listening to. Um, what was his name? Martin Lloyd-Jones, yeah. I think he did like 12 sermons and was like in verse three. And I was like, I don't got time for this. <laughs> it was good stuff, you know? He's like, all right, we're gonna stop on blessing. Let's go, you know, we're gonna do a sermon on it. Um, and so, yeah, I said that it was good, but it was like, just, I needed to go a little faster than that. So we're gonna go even faster than that this morning. Uh, Ephesians 1. We're saying that Christian, Christian, we're saying Christian community is this redeemed temple in Christ. What does it mean that we're a temple? God has purchased us by his blood from our, our slavery to sin. He's done that. He's redeemed us out of that. This is the good news of the gospel. But, but I'm saying a Christian community is actually the temple in Christ. So what does it mean that we are the temple? And Ephesians 1 verse 7 kind of builds to this. We'll kind of skip around, but I have the verses on the screen. It says, in him, so in Jesus, you and I, now this is, this is after the resurrection. This is later on in, in scripture. This is talking to a, a, a church uh, in, in the same way we'd be talking about the, we're, we can say Christian church. We're sort of move forward in history. He says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So it sounds very much like Isaiah. Our sins have been blotted out. God is saying, I'm the one who has redeemed you. I'm the one who has done all of these things. And we'll jump ahead, look at chapter two, verse 13. So we used to be separated from God, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have now been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. So it's not the blood of bulls and goats. Well, what have we been brought near to? What has, what, what has God redeemed us out of and by his very own blood drawed us near to? When you think about this idea of the temple, what did the Israelites draw near to in the temple when blood was shed? God, yeah, the creator, glory, majesty, beauty, wonder, the, the one who spoke everything in existence, dwelling in a, in a temple on earth made with hands. And now Jesus is saying, my blood has shed. You have been redeemed. Now you, can, now you draw near. And look at how he describes this in verse 18. It says, through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What do we have access to? He keeps going. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. He's comparing this to Israel because like Israel had the temple. Israel had all of these things in this tiny little nation in the Mediterranean. How many other temples were there in the world where the true creator of the universe resided? The answer was zero. So before Jesus came, there was not a whole lot of access to the very presence of God. It was one place in one spot in the Mediterranean. But now your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Think about what was said in Isaiah. My servant will build the foundation of my temple. My servant will build the foundation of my temple. And now it's saying... We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what do we draw near to? What are we building? Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. You are a dwelling place for God. That's a different kind of community. That's not the same as work. That's not even the same as family gatherings. Christian community is the redeemed, the ones who are rescued by the blood of Jesus, temple in Christ. This is where God dwells. This is how we have access to him. This is where we can see his glory and majesty and beauty. Not because we have skills and talents or anything <laughs> I love how he points to Israel and he's like, you were like the worst <laughs> and I rescued you. <laughs> like I chose you because I didn't want people to be like, well, look what they did. Paul picks up at that in Colossians and says the same thing. How many of you were wise? How many of you were rich? How many of you came from noble birth? God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God brought us together by his blood so that God could dwell here. That's Christian community. The redeemed temple where God dwells in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Corinthians really hits the weight of the in Christ reality home pretty hard in a, in a, in a sort of uh, PG-13 context of sexual sin. And I'm not going to super focus on that because I want to, I want, I want to, because um, it's uncomfortable, um, but also because the point that Paul is making in Corinthians is how connected we are to Jesus. So not just this is where God dwells, but how connected we are to Jesus himself. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. 
the Corinthians had apparently asked him a bunch of questions and they're trying to figure out, hey, you know, what is right and wrong? How do I wrestle with these things? Um, we actually preached through this last year, I think, at the beginning of the year, um, so you can find it if you're more interested, but let's just focus in on what does it mean to be connected to, to be united to Jesus. Verse 12 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Okay. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And he goes on to give some examples of that. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy both one and the other. They're, they're not eternal. You will die someday. Food will deteriorate. Goes on to say the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He, there is an eternal reality. You. God will raise you up just like he raised up Christ Jesus. So he says, do you not know then, since your bodies are eternal things, that, that uh, you are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? No, never. Or do you not know? He's like, let me explain what I just said. It's like, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. He's like, let me give you the birds and bees conversation from Genesis. Uh, when two male and female get together, they become one flesh. That's what scripture says. And you are a member, you're a part of Christ. So now let's put those two truths together. But he who is joined to the Lord, again, we're a part of Christ, becomes one spirit with him. So that makes sense of what he said earlier. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's how intimately united you are to Jesus Christ. Theologians call it mutual indwelling. He dwells in you and you dwell in him. You and I are one with Christ like Christ is one with the Father. That's what he prays in John 17. That's the level of intimacy the Christian community has with their Savior. United with him. So that in a somewhat real sense, Paul can say, when you do sexual sin, you're dragging Christ into that. That's how close he is with you. So it makes sense then in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Some language in verse 19 that should sound familiar. Or do you not know that your body is a temple? That is where God dwells. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were redeemed. You were purchased. You were bought. Whether you want to accept it or not, apart from Jesus Christ, you are a slave to sin. You can do nothing other than sin. We're not, I'm thankfully by God's restraining power, we're not as evil as we could be. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That doesn't mean that everyone is the worst possible sinner they could ever possibly be unless they're a Christian. But deep down in our hearts, our motives, as in Ephesians, he said, we're children of wrath. Deep down, we hate everything about God because we want to be in charge until he unites us to Christ and utterly changes who we are. Till he says, I will dwell in you. Till he brings you into this Christian community that he has redeemed, that he has purchased with his own blood so that he could dwell with us, so that we could be in his very presence and so that he could be so intimately connected with you that when you sin in your body or sexually, that he's saying, you're dragging me into that. That's how close I am to you. 
That's how present I am with you. That's the beauty and wonder and amazement of what Christian community really is. That's Christian community. The dwelling place of God, the redeemed temple in Christ. That's what defines who you are. It's not by anything you have done. It's not by anything you failed at this morning. It's not by the, the we, talk, we talked about the reality that we've all kind of been hurt or, or damaged or suffered because of something in the Christian community. Chances are you also have probably hurt and damaged someone else because we're sinners. So then why did God do this amazing thing of redeeming us of dwelling with us, of uniting himself to us, if it was just gonna be this messy? Why did he do all that if we knew it was gonna hurt and we knew we were gonna suffer? How do we make sense of that? I think part of it is acknowledging what God has done in him being the one that creates Christian community, him being the one that's rescued you and is united to you and is present with us, acknowledging that is true. And and when we struggle, we say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm drawing near to you. I don't have a sense of you. I know what you've done is reality. I wanna say that I'm defined by you. I don't feel it, but I want it to be, I I wanna feel it because I know it to be true. I think going to the Lord and asking for those things is just a part of how we make sense of that. But I think another part of Christian community is knowing why is it? Why did God go through all of everything we just kind of walked through this big arc of scripture to make you and I the redeemed temple in Christ? Why did he do that? Like what's the purpose of these things? And I, there's a lot to flesh out, and that's why I have a whole intensive on this. (laughs) But I wanna narrow in on just two things. The why of the Christian community is so that we could approach God and offer sacrifices. So that you and I could approach God and offer sacrifices. You think about that in the temple context. Why was blood spilled? So that God could be approached so that they could have a place to bring their their sacrifices of thanksgiving, their first fruit offering. They could offer and say, Lord, you have blessed me with all these things. I wanna give them to you. I wanna offer them to you. And so since we're not burning anything up here, uh, which would be fun, um, as the kids grow older, I can't wait to like do some of that with fun things like model rockets. Yes. (laughs) Nothing is on fire. So what does it mean that we approach God and offer sacrifices? I think that, let's start with approach God. We talked about this in Hebrews. Chapter 10 gives us a little encouragement for that. The fact that you don't have to get on a plane and fly to Jerusalem to approach God, you can do that because he dwells in you and in his Christian community. You have access to him all the time. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in verse 19 of chapter 10. After sort of explaining this idea of, what, of Christ's redemption, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the holy place, not even all of Israel could enter into the holy place. I was like, just a special priest. If you were just Joe Blow blacksmith, you couldn't go into the holy place. 
And now he's saying, look what God has done. He has laid a new foundation. He's built a new temple with Christ. You are now the dwelling place of God. And he says, therefore, now you can enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his torn flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let you and I draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's so many things from the Old Testament in there that he's saying, look, all of this imagery that was enabling people to draw near to God in the Old Testament, this is what Jesus has accomplished for you. This is the purpose of Christian community to draw near to God himself, to approach God. A couple of, uh, I thought Psalm 27, you know, there's a whole bunch of this um, in the Psalms, but I thought I would just share. This is David, the king of Israel. You know, as far as anyone, he has access, right, to God in the temple. He's sort of in charge of everything. Psalm 27, verse four. One thing I have asked of the Lord. One thing I have asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. Amen. David is a very successful king, crushing all his enemies, ruling and reigning. And he's like, this is what I want. I want every day to be able to gaze on the beauty and majesty and wonder of the God that occupies the temple in the capital that I live. That's what I want to do. And now in Christ Jesus, that's what you have access to. All the time, no matter where you are, because you're part of this redeemed temple in Christ. Psalm 37, verse four, kind of says another Another thing around that line says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. I feel like that's one of those verses that could be very much taken out. It was a good tattoo verse, you know, like delight yourself in the Lord. I don't know. This is why I don't have any tattoos. <laughs> um, that wasn't in my notes. Um, flex, right? No, right? Um, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. If we have this access to God, a lot of times it doesn't feel like we do. Right? Like, even this morning, I'm like, I'm talking about the reality of Christian community, and I'm like, wow, these are all like some amazing things. And I'm like, actually, I'm just tired. <laughs> like, I'm no delight in the Lord. Oh, maybe if I drink some more coffee, you know? And I had to stop because then I get crazy. Um, but we don't always have like a sense of that. And I think that, that we need to sort of speak to ourselves and say, okay, we don't, but let's, let's, let's ask God to help us believe in what it means that we're a Christian community. How many times when we're, when we're struggling to get a sense of who God is, we say, God dwells in me. God is the one who redeemed me. He's the one who rescued me from my sin. I didn't like accomplish it and now drop the ball and I fell back into that. It's happened. It's, it's like a full and complete reality. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and you can approach God whenever you want because of what God has done. King David couldn't do that. We have to consider the, the reality of what the Christian community is if we want to draw near to who God is and delight in him. It's hard to sort of reorient our thoughts around that. We can consider what he's done. We can think about the fact that we have the spirit. But another thing we can do to draw near to the Lord is offer sacrifices. And I, and I don't, and I'm kind of, this is why things are messy still. This is why we can be involved in a Christian community and be disappointed still. Because at the end of the day, even though God has done these things for us, 
there's still so much more pruning that needs to happen. There's still so much more reorienting of my thoughts so that I can enjoy and rest in and delight in God himself. And he's actually made our lives a little bit messy. He's made things a little bit difficult, sometimes a lot difficult, so that we could remember what he's done and approach him and delight in him. Look at Rome. Uh, let's look at Hebrews 13. I want to kind of hit this offer sacrifices. Hebrews 13, verse 12. It says, Jesus suffered outside the gate. I'm talking about like physically outside of Jerusalem. That's where he died. In order to sanctify the people through his own blood. This redemption idea again. He died and did this thing so that he could create a people in him so he could make a, have a new redeemed temple in Christ. This is what he did. So therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we, for here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come Here's the point, verse 15. Through him, through Jesus, since now we're, we're, a part, we're connected with him, we're a temple, he dwells with us. So then through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God has actually designed the Christian community. He's objectively done something. Like we are redeemed. God does dwell in us. We are the temple and we are united to Christ. That has absolutely happened in space and time. And he brings people into the community and that's an unchangeable reality. And we can draw near to God whenever we want because of those things. But the reality is we're so foggy, we're so distracted, we're so sort of clogged up with earthly realities, with things in this world that you and I are so often drawing near to other stuff. So often we're being pulled off into a reality that's less than what God has done. And God has made the Christian community so that you and I could rest in what he's actually done and give ourselves to others. And in that process of sacrificing ourselves for the good of others, he refines us and clears away some of those things that get in the way so that we enjoy and rest and delight and, and just are obsessed with who God is in the presence of our creator. He's using the messy nature that can't change the reality of what he's done. He's using the messy nature of Christian community to clear away all those things that distract us from the real truth that God dwells in you. And you have access to him 24 seven. This is the beauty of what he does when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to others. This is how we bring good to others as we're formed by God and it's something as a community that we do together. This is the, the wonder of Christian community. And it doesn't mean that there won't be people in the Christian community that hurt you. It doesn't mean that there won't be real, grieving, sad, painful realities within the Christian community but it does mean that God is legitimately using those things so that you could better appreciate the true unchangeable reality that he dwells with us, that he's united to you, that unlike anyone in history before Jesus rose from the dead, you have access to the creator of the universe 24-7, 365.
and no matter what disappointment comes from the, the other people struggling around us, as we all are, he's using those things to draw you more into his presence. That's the beauty of the Christian community. That's the purpose of what God is doing. And he's gonna continue to do that. And I I want to sort of walk through some of the like practical ways of what does that look like? You know, one of the topics is like friendship. How do we pursue that as we draw near to God, as we offer ourselves? What does our routines look like as we draw near to God as a community, as we offer ourselves? How do we talk about the ways we fail? Just because God uses failure doesn't mean we want to just keep doing that. (laughs) He's He's sanctifying us. He's transforming us. He's making us. He's forming us by his presence. His presence isn't a passive thing. It's something that's, that's meant to change us and shape us and mold us into something unique and special. Into something that at the end of time, says the glory is beautiful bride of the church. That's what God is doing as he dwells with us. And so for the next... Five weeks, we'll skip a week, six weeks. On Sunday evenings at six o'clock, we're gonna sort of talk through some of the implications of some of these things. But whether you're at the intensive or not, whether you're visiting or you're here all the time, the reality is that Christian community is where God dwells. That's where he is present. And he's, he's present for a purpose. He's present so that we could draw near to him and have joy and peace and rest in his presence. He's present so that we could offer sacrifices out of that joy and peace and we could draw closer to him. So let's pray and thank him for that. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for the beautiful reality of your community that you have created, Lord. I thank you that we can stop for a moment and thank you because you're really here. You're really with us. You really care for us. You're really intimately connected to your people. We don't have a sense of that often because we are drawn towards so many things less than you, but you are smarter than us and you've thrown us into a community together and you're using that community to refine us and draw us closer to the reality that you are here. So I pray that that would be the front of mind as we consider these things for the rest of the day, as we um, partake in communion with all these different ways you've given us to remind us that you are here and you are for your people. In your name I pray, amen.